0: Tuesday during this truncated week of Labor Day. I want to be praying today for the Cal Fires, the fires um, in California, actually across that state. I want to offer up a prayer of thanksgiving for cooler weather and even snow in Bozeman, Montana. I heard over the weekend from uh, K.J. Ramsey. She's been on the show here a couple of times. Uh, I I was not aware that she's from Bozeman that's where her um you know her her parents live and they they live on a the ranch they have horses or and um uh so she had asked that we would be you know praying for them as they were evacuating themselves and their animals and for the fire that was raging there which I will tell you drew my attention away from what was happening in California to fires elsewhere so let's be praying for communities where there are active fires today um, let's be praying for the continued recovery in uh, in the part of Iowa, devastated by the derecho. Um, let's be mindful that our neighbors south of us in Louisiana are still um, and will be for a very long time recovering from the hurricane there. So there's lots of uh, cause and reason to be mindful today that... Um, that God is good, that life is hard, and that we are in a position to help our neighbors. And so let us do so as we can. Um, also just wanna, you know, in terms of lifting up prayer concerns today, I just wanna be lifting up um, parents who are, who have children who are um, older teens and young adults. Because as we just talked uh, in the last hour about this incredible uh, increase in the percentage of young people who are not only depressed but actively ideating about suicide we, every single one of those young people is a part of a family and that creates um an inc- just a, a, an immense level of stress in in those families as well and so let's be praying today for families who are dealing with kids who have challenges of all kinds mental illness um and and today uh, uh just a a real rise in, um, in the occurrence of, of depression and suicide ideation. Um, next up, I'm actually going to talk with Dr. Steven Grosevich about another category of kids and therefore families who have some very particular challenges during this um, COVID experience. And those are families who have a child with, uh, with special needs seven million students across the United States receive specialized instruction or some form of related services every year. So we're going to talk about kids with disabilities and the, the challenges that they are facing and their families are facing uh, during this season. Dr. Stephen Grosevich from Key Ministry up next. me now, Dr. Steven Grusevich. He is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. He's a teacher, an author, a researcher, a consultant. He's the president and founder of Key Ministry. You can find him at keyministry.org. Dr. Grusevich, welcome back.
2: Carmen, thanks for having me back.
0: Absolutely. All right. So what are you hearing from families and how are churches responding to this incredible challenge that uh, children with disabilities are facing right now?
2: well i think that it's a pretty complex picture i will tell you this that normally this is my slowest time of the year and i would be spending this time catching up on my reading from the last 8 months we've had new, more new referrals in our practice in the last 2 weeks than we've had in any period in the last 5 years you know so that we know that with with kids going back to school and the reality starting to set in that this COVID thing is going to be a challenge in the long run, probably at least for the duration of this school year. Um, folks are, you know, folks are struggling. You know, kids are struggling emotionally. You know, parents are struggling because um, their kids aren't having access to the kinds of supports that they typically need. And so, this has been the most stressful back to school time that I can remember. My thirty years of practice.
0: So when we talk about um, this population across the country, can you, can you describe to us kind of the breadth and depth of um, children with disabilities and therefore families who have a child with a disability in America today? Because for people who haven't thought about this, they haven't looked around, they don't know how pervasive it is.
2: So that, if you take a look, for example, at kids who are getting special education services you know where they're where they 're on something called an individualized education plan or an iep we 're talking about one in seven kids in the country, um, so like you said you know in the lead in we're t- we 're talking about you know seven million kids, and those seven, 7 million kids have families. Um, the majority of them are on ieps because of um, emotional behavioral learning issues, you know, kids who have ADHD, um, kids on the autism spectrum, um, kids with, you know, severe problems with, with anxiety, in some instances, trauma. So that, so that this special education group, I mean, it's a grab bag. So you'd have kids with intellectual disabilities like Down syndrome, um, sort of mixed in with kids where their issues are primarily, you know, social, emotional, Along with kids who have significant learning disabilities, like kids who'd have like dyslexia, you know, or kids who have a specific learning disability involving their ability to do math. You know, so that again, it's it's hard to think about it as a as a homogeneous group. And the families who are being served in this way have a very broad range of needs.
0: All right. So, um, Dr. Grisevich, in addition to um, the ways in which we expect the school system to respond to all of this, obviously, those of us who are Christians and are engaged in um, not only, you know, sort of like ministry to our neighbors, but also ministry through our churches, much of that just isn't happening right now. Talk with us about that impact.
2: Well, if you think about the ability to be able to return and reconnect to church— there's a subgroup of folks within this special needs category who are more severely impacted, so that um, compared to the general population when you take a look at when you take a look at children you take a look even at young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, statistically they're significantly more likely to have some concomitant medical condition that would make them more vulnerable to the virus mm. so that in addition to missing out on the supports that they get at school, um, that these are families who are at far greater risk if they were to try to go back to church, and so that one of the things that we're hearing from folks who are involved with disability ministry and special needs ministry around the country is that 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 this is the, the, this is going to be basically the last group that is going to return. So, that in addition to like missing out on like all of the different kinds of supports that these people typically get from their schools, they're not getting the respite care that many people get from their churches. Um, The parents are less likely to be able to attend church in person, to go to a Bible study in person. Um, They are missing out on, you know, the the kinds of supports that, you know, churches, other parachurch organizations, like, for example, like the Johnny and Friends camps that families would go away to for a week in the summer to get lots of care and support. Those didn't happen this year. So that there's, you know, that that in addition to, you know, not having the kinds of support services that they're getting through school, these are the folks who are going to be the last folks to go back to church, which is kind of tragic because what we've historically seen is that they've been the last people to be able to be a part of church.
0: Talking with Dr. Stephen Grosevich, uh, you can find Key Ministry at keyministry.org, and we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Grosevich from Key Ministry. We're talking about uh, some of the most vulnerable people in our society, and those are children and adolescents with um, a variety of uh, or range of disabilities, those might be emotional, they might be behavioral, they might be related to trauma, they might have intellectual um, developmental challenges or physical disabilities, um, and we're talking about the particular stress not only on these uh, on these children and young people but on their families. So I want to read um, the opening couple of paragraphs from an article that Dr. Grisevich and I both read in the Wall Street Journal related to this. It opens this way. For Anna Smith, an 18-year-old with Down syndrome, losing out on in-person education this fall could mean losing access to physical, occupational, and speech therapies that she receives through her public school. Uh, She is uh, at Parkersburg South High School in a hilly corner of West Virginia near the Ohio River, was set to begin today um and uh and her mom says she 's not sure how her daughter Anna, will receive therapy this year. Anna has not seen any therapists since March. Talk about um Dr. gosevich talk about um when the when the rhythms when the predictable rhythms are taken away, and when all of the access to the range of therapies that an individual was receiving are gone because those um, those resources were accessed through the public school. Just, just talk with us about what that family is experiencing.
2: Okay, well, first off, Carmen, I have been a huge proponent that, that school needs to be going on because of the impact that, that it has on our families when they, when they miss out on all of those supports and they miss out on that structure. When I think about some of the kids who have suffered more d- during this time, you know, kids with autism, one of the things that's extremely important is consistency of routine. So that when that routine gets disrupted, it's not unusual to see those kids experience more challenges with aggressive behavior. Um when when they you know when when they lose the busyness of the day. And this is this is also something that we have tended to see. And when I think about the kids that we've seen who've been most severely impacted emotionally. It's been kids with obsessive compulsive disorder and kids with anxiety. So that one of the ways that they oftentimes cope is that, you know, that they will use the busyness of the day to distract themselves from their own, you know, internal anxiety, their own internal obsessions. You take away like the seven hours of the day that they're in school. You take away their extracurricular activities and they have all of this extra time to sit around thinking about their junk this is a significant reason why we're seeing these you know, higher rates of depression, um, you know, higher rates of suicidal ideation, you know, and, and significant increases in distress, so that, so that when the structure of school is very important for kids who maybe struggle with self-control to be able to maintain their self-control. The, the disruption, the routine is very challenging for kids on the autism spectrum. And all of the downtime has been very challenging for kids and caused a spike in the mental health needs of kids with internalizing disorders such as anxiety and OCD.
0: All right. And there's lots of families going to just extraordinary lengths to pay for um, some respite. And, and I say that in all love and recognition that these are families who love their kids. But these kids are what are often described as 24-hour kids. A lot of us, you know, we happen in our family to have some 24-hour kids, so I get this. Um, but um, not everybody understands the difference um, in a family and its ability to sort of move through a day or a week or a month or a year if there are no supportive um, networks of care to provide them respite um, really from their child, so their child, their special needs child, can be doing something somewhere else with someone else.
2: Absolutely. And I will say this, that, that there have been some churches that we have come across that have really stepped up in the moment and have radically expanded the support that they offer a lot of these families who have kids with, you know, more severe disabilities or special needs that um, I was doing a video for a conference that's coming up in a couple of weeks with a wonderful special needs ministry director in Texas, where in response to some of the need that they're seeing, they're not checking in with every one of their families every day that that they 're developing spiritual exercises, other kinds of resources to be able to share with those families, one of the other things or one of the other areas in which we 've seen churches step up is that with the advent of zoom, you know we 're seeing more and more churches that are um, inviting their families to be part of online groups in situations where um those families oftentimes weren't able to be part of a Bible study or a small group of church because of the issues that they experience on a day-to-day basis in terms of being able to find qualified childcare. So that in some ways, thanks to the pandemic, um, the playing field has been leveled and that we're seeing some churches that are being very intentional in terms of trying to bring these families more into the church's support structure and more into their small group structure. Through the use of technology. The one other area where this has been a blessing and where maybe churches can think about, you know, how they, you know, how they market and promote and use social media to make people aware of their worship services, is that that we're seeing more families with churches that have taken their services online that have been able to be a part of that where maybe they weren't before, where they weren't like in an area where they were aware of or familiar with a church that had a specific special needs ministry to be able to support them, a lot of these kids have issues with sensory processing so that the you know the the, the noise, the lights, the smells, the the multiple conversations going on at church are too overwhelming. Um, with churches making their services available online, you know the parents are able to control the sensory environment that their family's in when they're worshiping. And so that we are hearing about more folks who are taking advantage of, you know, who, who are taking advantage of and getting connected through some of these kinds of services. So I do think that that it's it's very important that for folks to be aware that um, a lot of, you know, the, the limited amount of respite care and, and a lot of the respite care that's done in the United States for these families is done through churches and church-based respite and church-based respite networks. That 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 while that's going away, and a lot of these families are more socially isolated because of the medical risk that they're experiencing, their support needs have not gone away during this time. And it's critically important that churches think about innovative ways of being able to care for them, serve them, and maybe to use some of the electronic tools that they have to help them become more integrated and connected with other people within the church.
0: All right, Dr. Grasevich, let's um let's do something to equip people listening right now to do something proactive. Uh if I invite listeners right now to think of a family that they know on their street in their neighborhood in in their community in their church wherever it is, that think of a of one family who they know who has a child um or, you know, residential at home young adult who fits into this category, right? Um we call, we call them up and we offer what?
2: So one of the things that you could offer, again, assuming that maybe the family's in a situation where they're not necessarily, you know, at excessive medical risk in terms of coming in contact with outsiders, is, um, you know, you can offer to provide the parents with respite so that um, one of the models that actually the church that I attended used for a while is relational respite. The idea would be that a small group at a church would adopt one family and be able to care for them and support them so that it might mean different couples taking turns going to that family's house to care for their child or to watch their child so that mom and dad get a night out. Um, It could be something like, you know, someone in a church volunteering to help, you know, to help tutor a kid who has a learning disability. You think about, you know, parents who have struggled with the need to homeschool, particularly last spring, um, you know, it's hard enough if you have a kid with typical needs, like how many parents have gone to school to become special education teachers. So if you have folks with that type of expertise, maybe they can help out online with being able to do some tutoring and relieve some of the parents' burdens in that way. Um, One of the things that we've seen folks do is you know if again if you're a teacher or you're familiar with the education service offer to serve as an advocate for a family because you know during this time when you know when when many schools continue to focus on virtual learning you know parents have a hard time being able to ask for the services that they need even though federal law clearly states that they continue to be enti- you know that, that 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 they are entitled to these supports under law even when the schools are physically closed. So that if you have some familiarity with the system, you know, being able to support families within your church or in your community as they're struggling to try and get as many of these services as possible ported into the home would be another way that people could be an incredible blessing.
0: Dr. Grisevich, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you for your advocacy and your work on this front. Uh, you guys can find Dr. Stephen Grisevich at Key Ministry. That's keyministry.org. Stephen, we really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. We'll talk again. We'll be right back. All right. I hope you heard that. I mean, I, I know you heard it. I hope you heard it at a heart level. I have some uh special people in my life. Uh, I've talked a, uh, about Matthew, my my stepson, who turns 15 in October. He has some very special needs. And in addition to his developmental challenges, he also physically looks different than uh, than the rest of us. And um, when he was little, I'll tell you, I there were kids that I wanted to, mm, right? I was angry at the way that he was treated by other people. And then You know, I had to come to recognize and realize that those children are only, they are only mirroring and they are only repeating the behavior that they have seen their own parents engage in. Which means that the times in which Matthew was mistreated or bullied by kids at church, it's a reflection on every single one of those families. My Christian brothers and sisters, our family, you and me, So let's take seriously what uh, John Stone Street just said in today's Breakpoint. If you want to go back and listen to it, um, you can do that at the Colson Center or at Breakpoint. All right, we are moving into international headlines. David Aikman is up next. I got two headlines here that he and I are not going to cover. One of them is about Serbia and Kosovo signing a breakthrough economic accord. You're going to want to know a little bit about that today. And also there are new skirmishes on the China-India border. But David and I are going to focus on Belarus and Russia, and probably Brexit. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So, starting next Monday, September 14th, we're going to spend a couple of days in what we call Fall Share. It's a it's an exciting time where we share with you the inspiring stories of how God is working. In the lives of Faith Radio listeners, um, for those of you who maybe are listening to us on a new signal in Mankato or Wilmer or Fairmont or Hutchinson or Grand Marais, for those of you maybe who have joined us streaming online at MyFaithRadio.com, maybe you found us on the Faith Radio app, maybe somebody shared a podcast with you, love to know that you are uh, now listening Love to know that you're a part of the Faith Radio Listening Family. This is a listener-supported ministry, which means that um, we rely on the financial partnership of listeners just like you. And so in Fall Share, we tell those stories, and we celebrate what God has done and is doing, and and then we look together at what God might do in the future, and we invite those um, who are able and feel so called to join us financially In the support of this ministry. So that's next week. It's called Fall Share, and we're looking forward to it. Please be praying with us in advance how God might be, uh, well, I was going to say nudging you, stirring you, provoking you to participate. We'll be right back.
1: You are so much more than a few days between the womb and the tomb. This is Max Locato. Paul the Apostle says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. Above and around us, God directs a grander saga, written by His hand, orchestrated by His will, and unveiled according to His calendar. Your life emerges from the greatest mind, the kindest heart in the history of the universe, the mind and heart of God. You are God's idea. And remember, God doesn't have any bad ideas. This is Max Locato.
0: We're still trying to uh, connect with uh, Dr. Aikman across the pond in the UK. And so I'm just going to proceed by bringing you up to date, at least on what's going on in Belarus. So, over the weekend, um, uh, the entrenched government of President Alexander Lukashenko, who you will recall um, continues to retain the office, even with great opposition. Ukrainians in the streets, uh, not only of Belarus, but across the country. And they uh, have begun, the government has begun detaining some of those protest leaders. And a couple of them have, uh, I'm going to use the word disappeared. I'm, that's not the, maybe, maybe that's too strong a word because we associate it with what tends to happen in Latin America when a person disappears. But um, right now they have been detained and uh their whereabouts at least are unknown, um, some of the protest leaders, uh, the government is trying to force them out of the country, trying to expel them. Um, and so we, we just want to be aware of what is going on. These events on, um, on the border with Ukraine and Belarus are now, I would say, really hot um, lots of people have been arrested. The EU is demanding the release of all political prisoners, says it's, a, it's planning on imposing sanctions in, uh, in both the Ukraine and in Belarus. So there's just a lot going on there. Um, and there's a lot of conversation and question about where these people are and who's, in, who's involved and, um, and what's happening. So there you go. Um, we also have in China... Um, more journalists who are either under threat or have been expelled, and we want to highlight those stories as well. Um, They are being uh, journalists who are speaking the truth about particularly what's going on in Hong Kong and those who are telling the story of the Uyghur people. Those are really the two categories of journalists who um, are... Be either being expelled or not being allowed to return to the country um, or being detained if they are in the country. And so we just want to lift that up. Obviously, we have uh, concern not only for American journalists, but journalists from all around the world. In this case, we are talking about um, an Australian journalist who China has charged with uh, threatening their national security. All right, let's turn to a couple of Russia headlines um, here. The top story uh, related to Russia right now is that Germany is talking sanctions, um, specifically sanctions on the Russia pipeline. And this follows the uh, in the wake of the Alexei Navalny um, poisoning, and then you know he was in an induced coma there in Germany. He has now been revived, I guess, would be the right language, from that induced coma. And Angela Merkel is saying, hey, maybe we will uh, uphold some of these projects we have been engaging in with Russia until we find some resolution related to this, um, related to this poisoning of this Russian opposition figure, Alexei Nelvani. Uh, Specifically, she's talking about holding up uh, gas line projects or gas gas pipeline projects, I think would be the right way to say that. So um, lots going on there on the Russia front. Um, the other maybe big Russia headline that um, we should talk about and David would be talking about if he were here is the Russian meddling in the U.S. election. And I, I think that, you know, we need to be clear when um, when we prepare ourselves to acknowledge that there are bad actors around the world who are interested in uh, not only who serves as the president of the United States, but in our democracy and how it works, in our nation's um, confidence in our own system. And so when we talk about Russian meddling in the U.S. election, we're really talking about what Russia and other foreign actors do all the time, which is seek to destroy that which makes America so unique. And one of the things that makes us unique is this very peaceful transfer of power after the people have an opportunity to make their voice heard about national leadership. So we have, you know, we have a very regular, systematic, nonviolent transfer of power when a new member of Congress is elected and the incumbent is not reelected, or when a senator um, is elected and the incumbent senator is not elected, or a president is elected um, and there is, there is a transfer from one party to another in terms of executive leadership of the country. And so without seeking to be predictive in any way, um, you are going to see increasingly increasingly, and there's only a few weeks left, but you're going to see an increasing number of agitated headlines related to the election and related to whether or not it's safe and fair and whether or not you can count on your vote being counted. Um, Anytime someone raises a question about whether or not your vote is going to be accurately counted and whether or not your vote counts, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle that person is on. It doesn't matter where they are from around the world. It doesn't matter whose trope they're echoing or repeating. It's designed to undermine your confidence in our electoral process. And so my encouragement is to resist being manipulated in that way. Resist being manipulated into believing that our sovereign, fair elections are anything other than sovereign and fair. Your vote counts. We're going to make sure that your vote gets counted, and we're going to have a free and fair election here in the United States of America. And we are either going to see the current president have a second term, or we are going to see a peaceful transfer of power to a different party. That's what's going to happen. And so let's not foment, um, let's not foment fear about anything else. All right. Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about Muslim majority countries in the Middle East getting friendly with Israel. That's some good news. And then if I can figure it out, I'll give you a Brexit update. That's up next here on Mornings with Garmin. All right. Taking a brief pivot here um, to the Middle East, there are a number of Muslim-majority countries uh, that are at least At least what we're hearing is they are now engaged and maybe have been for some fairly long period of time privately engaged in conversations about recognizing Israel and or having some kind of relationship with Israel. So Bahrain has now allowed flights uh, to Israel. That joins the A- the um, United Arab Emirates. You know, we talked about that peace flight that was very historic that took place last week. Now we are talking about uh, the same with Bahrain. Serbia and Kosovo said that they intend to move their, is- their embassies to Jerusalem. Um, the EU has now warned Ser- Serbia and Kosovo against that, saying that it would undermine their EU membership or their hopes for EU membership if they moved their Israeli embassies to Jerusalem. So that is going to um, have some political fallout, I would guess, as well. So those are some uh, stories we're watching in that part of the world. And then there's Brexit. Now, let me just let me just confess to you, I was uh, planning on relying heavily on David Aikman for this story. So here's what I know. The European Union told Britain on Monday that there would be no trade deal um, if uh, if the UK in any way, I should say Britain, if Britain in any way tried to um, the language here uh, from Reuters is tinker with the Brexit divorce treaty. So we're now we're now calling Brexit uh, at least the the deal that has been worked out between Britain and the European Union is being openly called a divorce treaty, and apparently the EU is warning that any attempts by Britain to quote tinker with it um, would uh, would n- null the deal. So I would say this um, this sort of raises the specter of a. Tumultuous end of year finale to this ongoing Brexit saga, Um, and so I guess we will be lifting up, um, lifting up not only Britons, Brits, but others who, you know, they're they're worried, they're worried about the future of um, their ability to cross borders or have trade or. Um, live in the ways that they have been living, while Great Britain has been a part of, or while Britain has been a part of the EU. So it has um, financial repercussions. It has global currency repercussions. You're going to see um, some fluctuations in the international markets related to Brexit um, between now and when it happens, and probably in the aftermath of it as well. All right, uh, there are always China headlines. To be watching some of the China headlines um, that, uh, that I'm watching right now are aggressions in the South China Sea, um, conversations related to a, a plane crash um, in Taiwan, um, and then obviously the ongoing COVID vaccine showdown. I don't know. We're going to um, continue to talk about China and its efforts to um, rise. And it's a rising threat. You probably saw news over the weekend about uh, China's military having in some cases surpassed the u s. military, or at least in uh, in the description of uh, pieces of equipment available to the Chinese military versus the kinds of equipment available to the u s military. Now let's be clear, the United States military continues to be absolutely unparalleled in its um, <clears throat> in its strength and ability. Um, But China is on the rise uh, militaristically, and we should pay attention to that because it is the most populous nation in the world. All right. We're going to take a brief break. Uh, When we come up, we'll come back. We'll close up this edition of Monday on Tuesday here on Mornings with Carmen. are you today? That's always a good uh, question to ask ourselves. Where in the Word are you today? Have you been in the Word of God today? And if so, where in the Word are you? You'll you'll remember that my other way of asking this question is about our relationship with Jesus. And I was asked over the weekend um, an, interesting, uh, an interesting question, so I'm going to pass it along to you, see how you respond and react to it. So instead of asking, um, you know, like where do you go to church or these kinds of things, this this person just straight up asked, "Just tell me about your relationship with Jesus." <laughs> and I said, "Wow, that's a that's a big, wide open, you know, opportunity to, you know, to talk about the person who's absolutely the most the most influential uh, relationship that I have in my entire life." And so, you know, what part of my relationship with Jesus do you want to know about? And the person smiled and said, "Well." Your reaction to the question told me a lot. Um, you know, there are people who respond to the question, you know, with a furrowed brow, and they name the church that they go to, or they talk about, um, uh, you know, these the practices in which they're engaged, the reading of scripture, and or um, times of concerted prayer, or books that they're reading beyond the Bible that are that are spiritual or influential, and uh, and so that led us to a conversation about the word relationship. I mean, you and I have a, you know, we have a relationship with our phones. We have a relationship with our doctor. We have a relationship. We have a relationship. You and I have a relationship. Um, You have a relationship with inanimate objects. You have a relationship, um, well, I have a relationship with coffee. Sometimes I would consider it a, a problematic relationship. How about your relationship with Jesus? If someone just asked you today, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Would you Be in a position to talk about him, about your walk with him, about the last thing in your life that Jesus radically changed, about the thing in your life right now that you are actively pursuing Jesus to influence. I mean, if you're like me, you probably know the area of your life that today you're saying, Holy Spirit, I am willing to cooperate with you. I know this is an area of my life that needs to be brought into greater conformity with who Christ is, but you're going to have to do it because I don't have the will and I don't know the way. But I'll cooperate with you because I want my relationship with Jesus to be intimate and close and honest and life-giving and gospel-advancing. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Have a great day, and God bless.